Hello everyone, this is Brian Ferguson, the host of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I want to tell you about a new podcast out called Fouls Count Anywhere. It is a classic pro wrestling podcast that brings you the legends of wrestling with true wrestling fans Chris DiCarlo and Charlie Turner. They bring on guests that are legends in this business as well as wrestlers of today, promoters, referees, you name it, they have them on there, folks. And I encourage you to listen to them. If you're on YouTube, watch them. They drop every Saturday. They have their podcast. They drop it in the afternoon. So look forward to that podcast coming out. Falls Count Anywhere podcast with Chris DiCarlo and Charlie Turner. Folks, you will not be disappointed. I guarantee it. And enjoy the podcast. Another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. Today's a special day for all of us here, a sad note, and I'm going to bring in Mr. George Shire to talk more about it. George, come on in. Can you? We good? We are good, Brian. All we right. Are good. Hey, man, you know, we, we're coming together here kind of on the spur of the moment on this one. And, uh, you know, uh, over the years, we've had to say goodbye to some of our, our heroes, our legends, the guys that brought us so much entertainment and gave yeah. so much of themselves during their careers. Mm -hmm. And uh, yesterday, as we are doing this today, yesterday we lost uh, definitely someone who, a uh, very interesting character in the wrestling business. He had his detractors. He had people that liked him. They had people that didn't like him. And, and Ole yeah. was Ole. You'll hear about that. Uh, yeah. But but a contribution to professional wrestling that just can't go unnoticed. And yeah. as I was digesting this yesterday, uh, last night, Brian, um, it always means a lot to me because all of these guys, you know, they were my childhood heroes. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I started to think about, you know, I want to pay tribute to him like I do all mm -hmm. of the guys that we've had leave us. Yeah. And I put a I put a call out to someone that I felt could be of help to us and uh, assist us in this. And it was none other than Luscious Larry Hainimi, a.k.a. Luscious Lars Anderson. And yeah, Larry. Uh, I was surprised. Uh, Larry is taking time out of his schedule and he has agreed to come on with us. Larry, yeah. I want to bring you in here. And in advance, there he is. in advance, thank you so much for uh, this sort of impromptu uh, coming on with us. But uh, Ole Anderson, you knew him, you worked with him, you wrestled him, you teamed with him. And uh, maybe you want to just start off by giving us a little bit about some of your thoughts on, on Ole. On Ole, well, he was... Uh... Actually, a mastermind in the industry in terms of booking. I mean, he, can you hear me okay? I uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, but he he was a mastermind in terms of booking in the industry. So, one of the great legends, <laughs> the legends of all time in this business. Yeah. Well, he, one, he, of the, he, one of the things that I I heard about Oli, uh, 
from a few people. One of them is Cowboy Bill Watts. And I know you're familiar with Bill Watts during your career. Uh, Bill Watts said that there were uh, four promoters, four people in the business back in the, the kayfabe era that he thought was the best, were the best. One of them was Roy Shire out in California. The other one was Eddie Graham in Florida. And then there was Holy Anderson. And he's, oh, and Vern Gagne was the other one. Those were the men that uh, Bill had mentioned. And it, it dawned on me when he said this, that I think, and maybe you can allude to this, Larry, um, all of these promoters that he mentioned, including himself, they were a lot alike in character and, and how they approached the business. And they did all have good minds for the, for the wrestling business. Yeah, that is true. You know, like I worked for, I worked for all of them. I actually worked for Vern. Vern trained me. I worked for Roy, Roy Shires. He was a bit of a piece of work at uh, Eddie Graham. <laughs> worked with Eddie Graham. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. I'll give you a quick Roy Shire story. You know, like yes. he had this girlfriend. She was some kind of a model, Nikki Garcia or something like that. I forget what her last name was. Anyway, a Playboy model. And um, he had given her a diamond ring and then, you know, like decided that he didn't want to get divorced and somehow got it back from her. You know, <laughs> and like she they did the uh, television at Channel 44 in, in Sacramento. And she had a our truck, you know, back up to the back door where the ring would come out and and, and put a dump of uh, about two tons of horse shit on the back door. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. That's my horse likes. Oh, gosh. Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson. Fans of the AWA, you are in for a real treat. My friend, Joyce Poshin, has just released her book titled My Ringside Seat to the AWA. Joyce writes about her personal experiences with wrestlers such as Nick Bockwinkle, Lord Alfred Hayes, Baron Von Raschke, and others. Joyce also has published many photos from her collection that you will not see anywhere else. Order today by email at joyce.poshin at gmail.com. Payment is through PayPal. The book is only $20 plus $6 shipping and handling. International orders, please email Joyce for shipping charge. Folks, run. Don't walk to your keyboard. And order today and enjoy the podcast. Yeah, that, that's interesting. <laughs> wow. Well, you, you know, Larry, you mentioned, of course, you and Oli, you both started with Vern Gagne. I got your start in the, in the business through his training and coming into the AWA. You, of course, in 1965, 66 timeframe. And Oli came around in 1967, um, which... By that time, if my memory serves me correctly, usually it does. You were already gone. You had you had went down south, and you would right. take you and Gene Anderson had left. Right. Uh, and you and I on our last uh, podcast here on Bumps and Thumps, we we talked about how you and Gene, uh, basically, when you first broke into the business here in the AWA, you and Gene wrestled each other a number of times around the the AWA circuit. And I would assume those were a lot of training matches. Pretty and, much uh, training, yeah. Yeah. That and then good. then you both left and you went down south. And somehow Larry Hainimi disappeared. And we got luscious Lars Anderson. Uh, the, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. 
Right. Um, let's talk about how that started. And then maybe if you can transition into us, how Ole came in later, because he came down, I think about 68. Right. So let's okay. share that with well, us. I worked with Gene probably 25 or 30 times in my, you know, wrestling matches. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the way it came about, you know, like uh, I wanted to go on the road, you know, like, and he he wanted to go on the road. And he was like helping run train me. Yeah. And uh, I think I've told this story before, you know, like he, you know, Vern booked us in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. With, uh, you know, Goulis? Goulis, I guess Goulis. it is. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I had a, when I graduated from college, I, I bought a new, uh, you know, like 64. Oldsmobile convertible, you know, like there was in Nashville, Tennessee, and you know, like they were sending us out into these various towns, and uh, you know, Gene paid trance, you know, paid a couple bucks, you know, for the gas, and have a couple other guys in the cars to pay the gas to get there, you know, like uh, it was the most miserable experience that I've ever had in my life. They, they sent us out one day. They sent us out one day, you know, like uh, as as the medics, you know, put masks on us. Yeah. Somewhere up in Hazard, Hazard County, Kentucky. Anyway, we're winding up, winding up, winding up. Where the hell is this place? And finally, we get there. You know, it's way, I don't know where, where somewhere in Kentucky. Anyway, Gene and I are in the ring as the medics and like, I, I told Gene, I said, take a look at that sheriff over there. You know, like the, there's a sheriff, you know, like we got plenty of heat. I mean, the sheriff, there was a sheriff pointing the gun at us, you know, the sheriff by the locker room door pointing a gun at us. You know, I said, Gene, what the hell is this? Let's get this thing over with. Let's get out of here. You know, so that was my, one of the experiences for Nick, with Nick Lewis. And anyway, we called Vern up and said, you know, I made about 60 bucks or 70 bucks a week or I don't know. It was like ridiculous. You know, so I called Gene, I mean, Vern up and he booked us with, with, uh, I mean, Jim Crockett in, in yeah. North Carolina. And we were getting over very well as a team. They, and they, they, we wanted to, you know, like get, advance a little bit. So they, sent us down to Georgia and Jim Crockett had said, you know, like if he had spent the money on us that he had on another team, you know, we, we'd be a championship team there. So anyway, we went to Georgia and from Georgia then about six months and then back to Atlanta. And from that point on, we were on top all over. Yeah. So that was the, uh, the history of that. And then when it gets to Ole, Wrestling fans, promoters, wrestlers, and anyone who enjoys pro wrestling now have something new to be excited about. The Wrestling Fans International Association, the WFIA, is back. WFIA is an association that exists to promote, grow, and support professional wrestling throughout the world. Membership is free. Your membership includes a free digital bi-monthly publication of the Wrestling Fan News newsletter, association updates, voting privileges, and much more. Please go to thewfia.org, that's T-H-E-W-F-I-A.org, and become a member today.
Oli and I, like, uh, Oli had been playing football in Colorado, University of Colorado or Colorado mm -hmm. State, one of the two. And in the summertime, they took, you know, like, they had sheds up in the mountains. They got sanctioned for it by the NCAA. But, you know, like, they had sheds up in the mountains, as hot as hell you know, tin roofs, and they were practicing year-round, you know, so Ole ended up with a concussion and lost his scholarship there, decided not to go there. Anyway, he would then have transferred to St. Cloud State, where I was playing, you know, playing football and wrestling, and he was in a fraternity, you know, and I was a jock, and he, you know, like, the Crusher was a famous wrestler in that area. Yeah. And he would, you know, come out, you know, on the, in the, the mall, you know, this, uh, the, outside of the main building, you know, flex his arms and, you know, do the pressure imitation. So I ended up, I don't know how it ever ended up, but we ended up selling out Eastman Hall, which was a small hall, you know, at that time, you know, there were about 3,000 people in it. You know, like, for a wrestling match, you know, the jocks against the fraternity. You know, so he and I ended up wrestling in the main event, you know, like at that time, you know, so it was kind of a, kind of very interesting go around. He later came on the wrestling team, you know, and, and uh, we wrestled together in college. And he didn't play football because he already had the concussion, which later, many, many years later, I'll go get back to the, this part, but many, many years later, he had Meniere's disease, you know, like in, and his equilibrium would be off. He would like stumble in the ring. I mean, it was like really, you know, really did a number on him, the concussion. But anyway, I was back for a, uh, a homecoming game, you know, like I played in the uh, homecoming, not the homecoming game, but the old timers game against the, the varsity, you know, and like uh, he had started, Vern had started him at that time, and I, I knew that. And I happened to be driving in Minneapolis and I saw him, you know, walking down the street by the wrestling office, you know, so I pulled over and talked to him and you know, I said, look, you know, uh, we could bring in, you know, he wanted to move, you know, get in the business, you know, into more than a single or whatever, right. you know, advance. So in any event, any event, you know, like I sold the, I said, we can bring in as a third brother. You know, so we sold the office in Georgia, in North Carolina, on the fact of the bringing in the, uh, the third brother. You know, and like uh, they said, yeah, okay. So he gets off the uh, plane in Charlotte. You know, and he says, uh, "So what's my name?" I says, yeah, "Well, you're Oli." <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> you're Oli Anderson. But anyway, I don't know if I told you the story before of how. How with the Sailor Art Thomas and that? So, uh, oh, go I, ahead, share, share Go ahead, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Well, anyway, you know, like the, the introduction, all these introduction was we were, Becker and Weaver were the top team, top babyface team. We were the top heel team at that time, mm -hmm. working on Raleigh Television, which were, they did the television in Raleigh and then bicycled it all over, you know, Norfolk and all over. Right. So, in any event, you know, like, uh, you know, like we're Gene and I are get, getting the upper hand on Becker and Weaver, you know, and, and they're making a bit of a, a little bit of a comeback, 
you know, and out from behind the curtain comes Ole Anderson. They never seen him. We never said anything about a third brother or anything like that. You know, all of a sudden, you know, here he comes up and he's stomping the hell out of everybody. And, you know, like, you know, then, and then out of the other curtain comes Sailor Art Thomas. You know, <laughs> like, Ole's flying over the top rope. I'm flying over the top rope. And Gene's, I don't know if Ole knew how to fly over the top rope at that time. <laughs> you know. <laughs> We sold out everywhere. Yeah, you know, like uh, all the it was a, it was right right on going into the summer, you know, and the yeah. and the the you know it was a black audience mostly, but I mean huge huge stadiums you know, that yeah. we sold out all summer long. You know, so in any event, that's I used to. Uh... I used to get the programs from Gene Gordon. Do you remember Gene Gordon? I do. Who was yeah. the photographer? Right. Um, he was sending him and I were exchanging programs back in those days. He'd send me the ones from down there and I'd send him the Twin Cities. We did that for a lot of years. So I was well aware of what you guys were up to and doing and yeah. able to uh to follow it. Um one of the things that, that we should share about uh uh Al Rogowski, Alan Rogowski before we right. Go on with Oli because they're one and the same, folks. But uh, I thought it was interesting when when uh, Al Rogowski broke into the uh, wrestling business here in the AWA. He actually appeared on his first Minneapolis card, and it was um, August of uh, 1967. And he actually was unannounced on the card. He wasn't mentioned. He showed up in, in one of the low preliminary matches. And he was introduced as uh, being possibly related to the Crusher and the Bruiser. Back right. in that day, you may recall that Crusher and Bruiser were billed as cousins. And um, that, was the, that was the first billing. And in the program, I do have a program from 67. They have a picture of, of Al Rogowski with the name Brute Rogowski on the mm -hmm. program picture. And then uh, it came back later, um, and Ole told me this. He said, Vern changed it from Brute to Rock because he didn't want to have a problem with the Bruiser, Dick the Bruiser, who often was referred to as the Brute from here in you know, different places. But the bottom line was uh, Rock Rogowski. So he was reportedly to the, related to the Crusher and the Bruiser. Well, he went to Omaha in 1970-ish, uh, 71. I think he was home and going to Omaha regularly and getting quite the push there. He was Rock Rogowski. And uh, now he was reported to be the Bruiser's nephew. And that's mm -hmm. the way he was introduced in Omaha. So I always thought it was interesting. He had the, the Bruiser connection. But then, you know, down in the South, he discovered he had two brothers. And uh, this, this was what was so great about pro wrestling. You know, if you, you, you needed a scorecard, and it was so much fun for me back in those days. But when he left, well, while he was here, he had gotten a really good push for a, a time right after come out, coming out of Burns Camp because he joined up with Cowboy Bill Watts and a tag team. And they actually had some really good matches around the horn with um, Harley Race and Hard-Boiled Haggerty, who were a team at the time, and also with um, the AWA tag champs at the time were Mitsu Arakawa and Dr. Moto. Mm -hmm. And uh, Watson Rogowski had matches with both of them around the horn. So all of a sudden he was gone. 
And uh, that's when, of course, you know, he started showing up in the South. Um, how long was it when, when you, when Oli came in that you decided to come home here to Minnesota? Probably about a year. year and okay. A half, yeah. Like and uh, that was your idea, right? That you was wanted my to come idea. Home? Yeah. I wanted to, uh, I was starting to tag team wrestling and I wanted to, you know, wrestle as a single. Ended yeah. up in more tag teams later on. Well, I was going to say, you, you did end up coming here, and you kind of replaced Harley Race as Larry Hennig's partner. Right, yeah. Um, I think it was December of 69. Uh, you had uh, been in a six-man with Larry and Harley, and uh, Harley was just gone after that, and you and Larry were together. You and Larry Hennig right. were together. Um, but, hey, as a singles, let's not forget that you did great uh, in a great program against Cowboy Bill Watts, and uh, sold out everywhere. Yeah, it was I, it was a tremendous. You had that TV angle where you were going to share each other's hold on one another. His uh, Oklahoma Stampede and your hydrogen bomb. I remember you called it the suplex or whatever it was. Right, yeah. yeah, very good feud. So you're home here. Um, you did go back though and work with Oli down there, Oli and Gene. I did. I was in the. I was living in Aspen. You know, I was sort of retired from the wrestling industry. Mm -hmm. You know, I was. I had a national t-shirt store company. Lived in yep. Aspen, Colorado, and and uh, went down. You know, one once started out as one summer. You know, and then and then uh, they booked me. But it was a little bit, you know, like he was running, he was running a business for Jim Barnett at that time. You know, like he was right. a booker, he was the main booker. Gene, Gene was an assistant, but you know, like Oli was the one that you know called the shots. So anyway, that uh, worked out for a while, but then it stopped working out. For a while there, you actually had a brother versus brother program right. going on. Yeah, we had, and I think you were the, the baby face, right? Yeah. So that was sort of the, the that was the beginning of the end, you know, of working with Oli at that time. So we did the uh, axe handle match, you know, and the, the Omni. Mm -hmm. I was history out of there. So, I, I wanted to ask you a quick question, Larry, if I could. Um, you know, when Ole's, you know, he's like George said, he's one of the smartest guys in the business as far as booking. Uh, when he was getting ready to do the, the four horsemen thing, were you ever contacted like, hey, we'd like you to come in? No. No? That was, that I was thought. I was history at that point. You know, that well, was, yeah, but I mean, bringing you back in to the fold yeah. for a little while, like getting the group started. I mean, they had a great group, the original four, but I'm saying right. I didn't know if they had said, hey, Larry, we want you to come in, maybe do six months. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you can, we'll finish the no, story. No, what had happened here. at that point, it was, it was, uh, you know, history. Mm -hmm. You know, like and the history was. We'll get to it, but you know, like I had. Um, um, where the hell this works? Let's see. Some of these things gotta <laughs> take. That's so all right. 
Take your time. Anyway. Hey, I, so, I forget I eat breakfast sometimes. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So anyway, you know, like, uh, I wanted to, you know, like, Ole was not, he, he was easy to work with, but not easy to work with, you know. Right. Yeah. Easy to work with if you did, did things his way, but if you want to do your own way, you know. So anyway, I said, the hell with this, you know, like, uh, you know, thank you, Ole, but, you know. I'm gonna, you know, you'll move on. So he, I got yeah. my, I bought it some tapes, you know, some couple hundred dollars worth of uh, the two inch, old two inch tapes. Made some interviews, went to Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was there one night, you know, and I said, the hell with this, <laughs> I'm not working with this, <laughs> these guys, you know. So anyway, I'm, I'm there. My wife at that time was in New York, you know, so uh, I went to New York, you know, I said, the hell with this, you know, so always said, what, what, what happened, you know, like, uh, I said, well, I said, I just, I just can't, you know, I, I just can't work with these people, you know, like, so he said, well, Lars, he said, you know, I'll tell you the truth, you're totally unemployable, you know, oh. like, you can't, you can't, you can't ever oh. work in the business again. You know, so I said, well, that's fine too. You know, so yeah. then about two days later, I get the call from the Florida office, you know, and like uh, Johnny Von De Valentine wants you to come in and, and be the booker. I mean, not be the booker, but, you know, work. I said, yeah. holy, don't you remember? I'm unemployable. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So anyway, they sent me a ticket, you know, and, and Two days later, I'm working in Florida, yeah. and uh, doing doing pretty well actually. And was yeah. Ole the Booker down there at that? No, time? he was. He came back and forth, but he was not the ah, Booker. Okay, he was not the Booker. Johnny Valentine was a Booker, and what he needed, Johnny Valentine needed somebody at that point to like pound on people the way he pounded on people in the industry. Sure, yeah. So he set yeah. a whole different standard of, of the way he worked. Yeah. You know, so I come in. And he was out of the business because of the plane crash. Because of the plane crash, yeah. 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 So in any event, you know, I'd bring my bag in the locker room and say, okay, what do we do? And he'd say, well, well we're going to go 35 minutes, you're going to go 40 minutes, you know, and don't let him yeah. do it. You know, so the guys didn't like working with me at that point. I mean, it was like you take uh, Rocky Johnson, high flyers, you know, and, uh, you know, they can't do their style of work at all, you know. Right. They hate yeah. it, you know. But yeah. I mean, it was like it wasn't so easy on me either because you hit you hit the guy as hard as you can and he can hit you back. I, Pedro Morales, you know, he made me deaf partially in one ear. You know, hit me so many times a year. But in oh. any any event, it was like it was getting to the point, you know, where where the people were believing. It, it it was so believable, you know, like yeah. that. They say this guy is like real. I don't know about this other guy. This guy is real. So, well, and you know, the thing is, I think we should always, you know, because a lot of people that will watch this weren't around in the uh-huh. days that you and Gene and Oli were definitely a force in the business. But I, I can attest to the fact that all three of you were real in yeah. your in your yeah. delivery. You know, right. the fans, they believed. And that was right. the whole name of the game. Yeah, that was that was the whole, you know. Yeah. You know, 
So in any event, you know, like I was like Florida champion and we, you know, we're, I remember that for about six, seven months or whatever it was year that it was like, and then got into a situation in a, in a match in Jacksonville, you know, like, uh, before it was, uh, Don Morocco in it, uh, forget, I forget who else, Don Morocco, Dusty Rhodes, and I forget, Carl Cox or whatever, you know, Killer Cox. Oh. So, uh, Valentine says, well, Lars, you're going to do the favorite tonight. I said, well, you know what, Johnny, if Dusty can't do it, and this guy can't do it, and, you know, so-and-so can't do it, I can't do it either. So, of course, that was, you know, because I was just, uh, you know, having a bit of an issue with the office. And, and uh, you know, so, of course, I was fired. Did you ever wonder what could have been with the AWA had things gone differently? Had their fortunes gone differently? Had certain wrestlers not left and perhaps more money would have been at the disposal of the Ganyas? Well, wonder no further. You can go to Brad Drake's YouTube channel and experience the 1987 Supermod for yourself. As Brad Drake starts off in May 1987, along with Greg Ganya, Baron Von Rotschke, Vern Ganya himself, Nick Bockwinkle, Larry Zabisco, Kurt Hennig, and a slew of others as he plays and saves the AWA. You know, so so there there I am the next day. I go to the office, pick up my money, you know, thank you, love, I'm gone. So where am I going to go? I said, well, where are you going, Lars? Uh, I don't know. I'm just going back to Colorado. And so anyway, about five minutes later, you know, the, the office calls me, you know, only wants you to come back to uh, Georgia. You know, so of course, you know, <laughs> you know, because Barnett owned part of Florida, he owned Georgia. Yeah, it's pretty, you know, they want me back. You know, they just fired me, but now they want me back. So anyway, I went back, went to Georgia, <laughs> and uh, of course, that, that's when, you know, they, the uh, office, you know, I came in and blah, 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 I'm working, working some of the towns and then, you know, I see what they're going to try to do with it, bury me, you know, so I said, hell with this, you know, <laughs> so I, I bought a ring and uh, had one made, started my own company, you know, and that sort of was a, the end of, of uh, dealing with the Holy Anderson. When when you talk about dealing with Oli, you know, one of the things that I've heard from a lot of people over the years is that Oli, and you already alluded to this, Oli could be, uh, he could be good to get along with and he could be bad to get along with. And sometimes it was his way or the highway. Um, I've heard people describe him as he was a grumpy old man, an ornery old man. But one of the things that I always take out of that is that I'd like to think that everybody knew where they stood with Oli. He wasn't one of those people that you had to guess. Would you? Is that how you would see it working around? Uh, well, he, he, let's put it this way, you know, like uh, uh, But in any event, you know, like uh, he was running a business for Barnett. Mm -hmm. It was strictly business. You know, like he, for example, when I had when I started my own company, 
you know, he had he had to book up, book my top guys, you know, and squash them on television because he was running a business. Well, they they I had T-shirt stores all over the country, yeah, and they thought that I was in, in a, you know attempting to take over the rest of the business, you know, so with my own company, which I probably would have if it hadn't succeeded at that point, you know, like, that's. That's where my head was at, you know, fucking. Yeah. <laughs> um, as the as the years went on, I know you ended up promoting in Hawaii, of course. Right. And then as the years went on, had, did you and Oli remain? I mean, did you talk to one another from time to time, or? Uh, it was it, it sort of uh, when when uh, the final the finals chapter there in georgia after that I, I talked to him at the uh you know at the various conventions and so forth okay you know it's like a it was your your rolling <laughs> how, how was how was the relationship from your vantage point between gene and Oli? did they always connect well i think they did yeah yeah they did you know and you you too i assume you and gene got along is well, that we had we had we developed a style you know yeah Oh yeah, and and the team team style and totally fit right into that team style. And he and he and Gene had a good good relationship. Yeah, you know it's one of the things when you look when we look back at old tag teams from the '60s into the early '70s. I always say if anyone leaves the Anderson brothers, whatever combination that we want to use, Gene and Lars, or Lars and and because you, you teamed with Oli too, right, uh, individually yeah. for a little bit. Yeah, right. Whatever combination you want to use, if you leave the Anderson brothers, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew out of the equation, then the list is bogus. Because you guys did, and I like the way you described. You developed that. You used to kind of divide the ring. You split right. the ring off and, yeah. and kind of kept working over your opponents, and it was yeah, something we, that we, most other teams weren't doing. Yeah, we developed that style. I mean, it was our own particular style, and you know, worked worked very well you know like uh you know for example when when gene and i before Oli came in but when gene and i worked with the scott brothers you know and, and oh, yeah. we sold out we sold out greenville south carolina on like 20 26 or 27 mondays in a row i remember that went on for a long time yeah now so you I, guys you uh I don't think you and Oli were ever against the Torres brothers. No. No. Okay. Gene and I. Yeah, Gene and you. Yeah, Other the memories. Scott, the Scott brothers I was talking about. Yep, George and Sandy. George and Sandy. I always loved it when I found out that Sandy's real name was Angus. <laughs> <laughs> it just struck I me. I never funny. knew that. <laughs> That's true. It was his, Sandy's real first name was Angus Scott. Oh my goodness! Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well, there you learn something new. Uh, <laughs> well, we should point out too that you know Oli, of course, did become one of the great bookers in the business, oh, and uh, as you said, one of the great minds. Um, he was around in a time when you know working storylines and angles and and different things were so important, and he knew how to do it. Right. Exactly. And I mean, I think that's the secret. And, you know, we hear, and when I say we hear people, I hear them having detractors, distractors, whatever you want to use the word. Um, it, sometimes the best bookers 
and Ganya fits in there and Bill Watts fits in there and Eddie Graham and Roy Shire. Sometimes the best ones are the ones that take the most criticism. And yet, if you look at their promotions, they were always at the top. Yeah, you know, you're going to take a lot of heat, you know, like, because it's yeah. like you have to be able to totally manipulate, you know, like see yeah. the story and manipulate. And, you know, it's like yeah. you're working with, you know, egos, but in some cases, very fragile egos in the industry. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. you get them to mold into, you know, convince them to go, go, go the way he wanted to go, you know, the way they wanted yeah. to go. Did you ever did you ever uh, read Oli's book? I don't think I have. It's uh, it's Inside Out uh, by Oli Anderson. How corporate America destroyed professional wrestling. It's it's a very very good read. It's been out. Uh, what, what year did we do this here? Two thousand three. So it's been out eleven years or tw- oh, really? no, twenty yeah. years. Almost. Twenty. Yeah. yeah twenty. Yeah. yeah. But. I encourage people, and Larry, if you haven't got a copy and you're interested, this is a good book. One thing I'll tell you about it, you're going to see Oli as Oli was. You're going to like him, you're going to hate him, and it's a great book. So I'm putting a plug out for it because I think if it's, it's still out there, yeah, um, it is a good read. And you've got many mentions in the book. Uh, Oli talks about a lot of his time with you and Gene, and of course, Vern Ganya and all the guys that he worked around. So um, here's a plug for Ole Anderson's right. Outpour. Check it out. Um, what else? What else you want to share with us about this? Let, he's a legend. We got to give he him is, that. Well, he is a legend. I mean, he he was he, in terms of you know like Ganya and he said Shires and so forth, Eddie Graham. That he would fit, fit into that mold. He fit into that, that particular yeah. mold. But he was a little bit stiffer mm-hmm. <laughs> than the yeah. other in terms of you know, he was he was a little more abrupt, let's put it that way. Let me ask you this. Very, very undiplomatic at times. At times, yeah. <laughs> uh let me ask you this. In your career of the different promoters, bookers that you had to deal with. Um, where would Oli rank in that that group? Uh, well, he would be he would be, you know, at the top of it. But ours was ours was uh, it was a more personal. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. a personal relationship. Yeah. You know that uh, you know Vern owned the business. You know Oli never really owned the business. But Vern sure, owned the right. business, Shires owned the business, Eddie Graham owned the business, you know, and uh, you could put them, you could put them in the in that top category, but as a different individual, he's a little bit sure. stiffer, a little, little, little more undiplomatic, you know, and uh, <laughs> as Do dictatorial you... as dictatorial as the others, but the others were a little bit. You know, yeah. Anyway. Do you do you think if um, Oli Alvergowski, if he hadn't left Vern, if he'd have stayed, would he have had the the legacy that he does? Absolutely not. Okay. I mean, Vern 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 wasn't going to let put anybody Vern over. Was, Vern, he owned the business, you know. Yeah. He and Walter Carver owned the business, and you know, 
you, you could never, you weren't going to get close to being on top of Vern in terms of. To your knowledge, did Vern ever try to get the three of you to come back together at all or team at all? No. 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 Yeah. I used to think it was interesting. Uh, when in the national wrestling magazines, the newsstand magazines, of course, Gene and Lars were always covered when you guys were down there in the South. But whenever Vern would put a picture or talk about you in the programs here, which he did from time to time in the in the printed programs, he always referred to you as sometimes it was Lars Hyneman and mm -hmm. Gene Anderson. He never said Gene and Lars Anderson. And I, I thought that was kind of weird that he never made, he wouldn't make the association up here. But of course you were the Andersons down there. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, those days before national television, so. Oh, yeah, and it was, the, it was the time when we didn't know what was going on across the street. So they could they could pull anything <laughs> off, yeah. you know, any anything yeah. in those days. <laughs> other, any other memories that you have of, of Oli that uh, you want to share? Not really, you know, the sort of, you know, sums it up. It was a, it was a like, you know, it, it turned out, you know, it turned out in the end, you know, to be a, a love, not a love-hate, but a more, it was, it was not the greatest of endings, let's put it that way. Yeah. The one but, thing that I... But I, the... but I have to emphasize that I know exactly why he did the things he did. Oh, yeah. Because he was running a business, yeah. and I was like, they viewed me as some type of competition to the business because of the the, the wrestling store. I mean, the t-shirt stores that I had, you know. And, and, uh, uh, there was they were the shirt shacks. Is that what you call them? Shirt yeah. Shirt shacks, yeah. Shirt shack, yeah. yeah. They had now, all over the country. I know when you were down south and with Gene, and I know when Oli was down there as well. Um, we should point out that Buddy Wolf, Les Wolf, was also around that time with you guys. Right. Usually he was working babyface, though. Right. Yeah, I started him. We actually started him in in, uh, in Norfolk. You know, like mm -hmm. he, would, he was he was uh, playing, you know, like minor league pro football and, and coaching. Was it the Neptunes or something? The Norfolk yeah. Neptunes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And then coaching, you know, at the at the high school there, and that's where, where he got his start. You know, started in, you know, the uh, go up early on to Norfolk and train him in the, the ring at the Coliseum there. Well, I, I want to tell you this: as I look at the wrestling landscape from the mid '60s, and actually we could go back even five years to 1961 or so, because that's when Gene started working for the AWA right, yeah. and he had gotten some training from Vern and then he did assist Vern through the next three or four years when Vern would get a guy and try to bring him into the business of course in 65 when you came along um, when I look at the landscape of, of wrestling from the mid 60s up until about 1984 when the whole landscape changed with the land with the national expansion and everything that took place with uh pay-per-views, et cetera. But if I if I eliminate the Anderson brothers, Gene Lars and Ole, and then later on we know Ole made a heck of a, a tag team with Arn Anderson, who was report was reported at times to be a nephew, and other times they even actually were billed as brothers. 
in a couple of programs. I, th- I always thought Arn was a good addition. Uh, Marty Lundy was, uh, is his name. But if we take out the Ambersons out of that 20-year segment, I don't think wrestling was as exciting. You guys, you made it. You, you really did. And Ole was uh, so important, whether he was Rock or whether he was Ole. And you, whichever you were, whatever role you were playing, if you were Hainimi or you were Lars Anderson, man, I tell you, um, it's a success story. It really is. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's it's fact. It comes from my heart. I I loved you guys. Well, thank you. Yeah. I got to ask one question. Uh, You know, we talk about only uh, rock. You know, there's been, you know, the rock. Dwayne Johnson, right. Rock, Don the Rock, Morocco, was only the first Rock? Uh, I don't I know if they called Don the Rock Rock. I'm not sure, but he, you know, I'm pretty sure he was, actually. Yeah, there, 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 were, there, there were a couple earlier, late earlier years. I don't know, um, Lars or Larry called you Lars. Um, <laughs> if, if you, um, do you remember the wrestler Rock Hunter? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, Rock Hunter. He used the name Rock, obviously, oh. before Ole did. Okay. Um, but I, I do point this out. Um, Ole, when he was the Rock, in the, in the Twin Cities in his first year here, uh, he started as Rock Rogowski, but then eventually he was just billed on cards as the Rock. Mm-hmm. We've got, I've got the programs to prove that. I've got publicity pictures to prove that. So, uh, in, in a, I think to answer the question, he was the original The original Rock. One. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, I had of course, <laughs> Larry, you're familiar with Dwayne Johnson because you worked right. with, uh, it's his mother you worked with, right? Uh, his grandmother. Grandmother, his grandmother Leah. and I were promoters in Hawaii. Yeah. He, he, I've known him since he's about 10, you know, nine, 10 years old. Sure. You know, like he would come in the wrestling office, you know, like we had the belts, you know, we kept the belts in the, in the office, you know, like he would come in and reason being, you know, like somebody would be working and if you put them over and they take the belt and they're gone, you know, then I got to buy another belt. You know, so yeah. anyway, Rock Dwayne would come in, Dewey would come in the office and the uh, first thing he did was, you know, get the belt, put the belt on, and flex around. <laughs> flex around the he was going to be a champion, and he definitely yeah. came that. That's funny. Well, let me let me do this, uh, Larry, before we finish up with you here. If speaking of Ole Anderson, if you were to share with us one good moment that you had with Ole through the years as you worked or wrestled or were around each other. Is there something that would come to mind that uh, is a good memory of, of him? Well, I have, I have a lot of good memories. We had a good I time. Like I like that. Yeah, we, you know, can't, okay. can't get into it totally, but you know, we, we had a really good time. I That's mean, great. That's great. Yeah. Well, you know, it's always sad uh, as me as a fan, uh, I have seen all of the heroes that I loved as in the 60s and 70s and 80s. They're, they're passing. 
I want you to be with us forever, my friend. So, <laughs> well, so, I, I intend on shooting for 110. So. Hey, I'm, there you I'm go. with you. And, we're gonna, and when you do it, we're going to have you on the show. There you go. <laughs> I'll, yeah. be I'll, be, I'll be 85 next month. So. God oh, bless you. Yeah. God bless you. Congrats. Yeah, God bless you. Um, I don't know if you were aware of this. I'll share this with you. I know we're talking about Oli here, but just a couple of weeks ago, we lost uh, Chris Markoff. Right. Yeah. And uh, Chris, of course, I know you also worked around him in the AWA. Right. right. Um, definitely around the country, he had a stellar career, uh, holding titles in Florida and Texas, and a lot of tag teams: Bronco Lubitsch, Angelo Pafo, and and others that he teamed with. Um, so yeah. Yeah. We 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 need you guys to stick around, man. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Well, I plan to as long as possible. There you go. George? Let me thank you, Larry. Seriously. Yeah, you're welcome. The bottom you're of my heart. And you came on impromptu yeah. this morning when yeah. we chatted in the text. And uh, I love you for taking the time. I want you to know, and I know Brian will agree, you've got an open invitation. If you ever want to come and just talk old wrestling or share yeah. something, you, you've got oh, an yeah. invitation. Let us know, and we'll have you on. All right. Well, thank you so much. I yeah. Larry, always, things. yeah, always a pleasure to have you on. You're such a, to me, underappreciated value to the pro wrestling during your era. Um, you know, I caught you at the latter part of your career, but, you know, I have nothing but great memories of you. You did a great job as a heel because I couldn't stand you. So you did your job well. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, again, I want to thank George Shire. I want to thank Luscious Lars Anderson, a.k.a. Larry Hanimi, for coming on today and remembering one of the greats, Ole Anderson, who passed away yesterday, February 26th, at the age yeah, of he definitely, He definitely was one of the greats. Definitely. One of the greats, and he will be missed. Uh, Larry, thanks again. George, thank you. Folks, if you're watching, thank you. If you're listening, thank you. And if you haven't subscribed, please do so, and we will talk to you soon.